You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from Option Alpha, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smart trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning in today. On today's show, we are going to be talking about why some option trades seem to explode in your face and what you should do about it. And I really use this analogy of explode in your face because I think it's so fitting for what we're going to talk about today because some people get so wrapped up in these trades that are huge air fingers, quotes, huge losers, or that are completely going against them, or it seems like the world is ending. I mean, you kind of interject whatever you want. It's like total dramatic effect of how a position is working against them or whatever the case is. But I want to help you try to understand why that might be happening and then what we can do about it. So kind of cause and then effect or, you know, what the symptom is and how we can improve it. What's the medication? What's the the diagnosis? So we're going to be going through a couple of these things. I think I've got about four or five different things I want to kind of touch on here today, but two quick stories and then I'll describe and hopefully this analogy will work pretty well for describing what I'm talking about here today. So the first one is we actually just had a big barbecue for my son and his baptism just this past weekend. So at the time that we released the show just this past weekend, we had a great baptism for my son and everyone was over for this huge family barbecue and we had tons of people here. And thankfully the weather where I live actually cooperated because I felt like it's been raining nonstop, but it was actually a really nice day. And so in advance of this, we had gone out and bought a bunch of food and, you know, bought milk for the kids and drinks and chicken and some veggies to cook up on the grill, etc. So I'm taking all this stuff in and I literally am walking in. I pour my kids a glass of milk and my daughter spills her cup of milk all over the place, right? So she's trying to learn how to use a cup versus a sippy cup right now. And she wants to be, you know, super independent, wants to do everything by herself. And so she spilled a cup of milk everywhere. I mean, milk went all over the place, all over the chair, her, the table, everything, right? But it wasn't that bad because it was just a small cup of milk. Now, had I walked in and absolutely dropped the entire gallon of milk and the milk busted all over the place, that would have been a major catastrophe, right? Now to her, this cup of milk spilling was a big deal. I mean, because she was in charge of this small cup of milk and, you know, it was all over the place and it was all over her clothes. And so she broke down and cried because she thought that she was, you know, going to get in big trouble for spilling this milk, etc. But for me, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was just a small cup of milk and yeah, it was all over the place, but we quickly cleaned it up and kind of moved on. Now, again, if I had come in and dropped an entire gallon of milk, that would have been a major catastrophe. Milk everywhere, probably down the floor, all through the hardwoods in the kitchen, over the kitchen cabinets, right? And we lose all of this milk. Now, the idea is that in this case, what I look at as an explosion is really a big problem. What she looks at as an explosion to me is not really that big of an issue. Now it's all relative because what she thinks is a massive failure or, you know, setback is not really that big of a deal to me. I would look at kind of dropping the entire milk as a really big issue. So the reason I use this kind of analogy and I thought it was fitting for today's podcast is because when we look at a lot of trades and and you guys know, I get hundreds of emails a day. When I say hundreds, I'm not talking like 50 emails. I'm talking 100, 200, 300 emails a day coming through. And we're responding to them, you know, as fast as humanly possible. But in that type of 
email flow that I get and comments and questions, I can see everyone's thought process in there. And so I have the ability, thankfully, and what I like about doing this still is I can see the underlying threads and the psychology of a lot of people. And I get a very good sense of how markets work and how people trade around different situations. So case in point, I'll get a ton of emails. Undoubtedly, it's almost predictable. I, I wish I could trade off of the prediction of how many emails I get, but it's undoubtedly predictable that I will get a huge influx in emails if one of our positions starts to go bad. And this happens religiously. No matter what happens, no matter how many times I talk about being patient and worrying about you know all the things we're going to talk about in today's show, it just happens. And I know it happens and that's okay. I want to be here to help. But I get questions like, what are we going to do about EWW? What about TLT? Or people, then my favorite, not my favorite actually, I'm just being sarcastic here, is people will just send me an email that says EWW question mark. And my response will be, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Now I know what they're talking about, but you know they're just sending me a, an email that says, what are we gonna do about EWW? Or it's been in the money and losing, what can we do? Or this position is a massive loser, what are we gonna do about it? And what I often find is that these people, and I'm not saying that people are childish, I'm just saying that in many cases, people act and behave very much like children when it comes to investing and trading. And again, this is not meant to be a dig or I'm not trying to demoralize anybody, so don't take it the wrong way. Please don't send me emails about this. It's just the idea that our psychology still for many traders has not developed to the point of being a mature investor and trader in this market. And we're still stuck in many of the very same childish psychological ways of focusing more of our attention on things that are losing because we're doing something wrong or we're just giving it a lot of attention. We're feeding the beast, basically. We've all heard the analogy, or maybe you've heard the analogy, there's two wolves in our heads, right? Like one is good and one is bad. And the question is, which one wins? And it's the one you feed, right? So in your mind, when you start thinking about all these losing trades or you start focusing your attention on it, that's the one that gets all the attention. You kind of forget about everything else. Now that could be good or it could be bad. And in many respects, I think it's generally bad as long as you have all these other things that we're going to talk about in place first, then focusing on these is really bad. So it seems like things explode in your face, but it's only air fingers quotes, which is why I put it in the title that quote explode in your face, because it's all relative to you. You may be acting like my daughter was in the sense that spilling a small cup of milk might be the end of the world to you, but it's really not that bad. And you need to take a step back and understand what's going on. So again, I'm not trying to demoralize anybody. I'm not trying to break anybody down. I'm just trying to talk through this thought process. Now, what I think about in this environment when people send me emails and we have, let's say, a trade that goes bad is I truly think about this as being what I will now refer to forever as the middle child syndrome. And the middle child syndrome is something that I know very dear and well because now I have three kids and my second child, Anna, who is definitely a pistol and a spitfire, has slid into this middle child syndrome perfectly. I mean, she was almost born to be a middle child, right? Not knowing that we would have another kid after her. But Anna is very much an emotional roller coaster, and I love her to death because she's so sweet and at the same time, yet can be so sour. But she's an emotional roller coaster, and she really fits that classic middle child stigma that you hear all over the place. You know, she tends to be emotional a lot. She cries a lot. She wants to be independent, but it's hard for her. She tries, you know, earlier on when she was trying to talk, she couldn't get her words together, and that really agitated her, and she got really frustrated about that all the time. And so for us, it's hard because as parents, and those of you who are parents will understand this, 
when she starts acting out and the other two kids are being fine, it's very easy for us to try to drop everything and focus all of our attention on the child that's screaming, right? And what I find is that that's never the best solution, right? So yes, we want to give her attention. Yes, we want to make sure she's okay and she's not hurt, right? I mean, that's the natural stuff. But we can't do it at the expense of the other two. We can't just lock the other two kids in the room and say, okay, you guys, deal with it. You guys are the good kids, so stay here while we deal with our other daughter. That's not how parenting is supposed to work. We have to make sure that everybody is doing okay, right? And that doesn't mean necessarily that we cut two off to focus on one. And I hope you understand what I'm talking about here. In trading, I see people do this all the stinking time. They have middle child syndrome with a trade that goes bad. So when a trade starts to go bad, it's like none of the other trades exist. It's like they are in a tunnel now in a vacuum that is 100% focused on just the thing that's going wrong. Now that thing that's going wrong could be a small blip a small cup of milk that has spilled. And yet to them, it seems like it's the end of the world. And so again, they start breaking down and they focus all of their attention on this. They start figuring out what to do and how to adjust it. When the reality is, is that sometimes the best action is no action, right? Or just taking a step back and evaluating and not giving it all the attention that it's trying to beg from you. It's trying to rip this attention from you. And markets are like this in the most classic sense. They are truly the ebb and flow of greed and fear. And so when you have a position that goes against you, immediately your human instinct for fear kicks in. And we're going to have a very nice interview and long discussion with Larry Connors, who recently wrote a book called Buy the Fear and Sell the Greed. I think it's a great book and it talks about this human emotion that's never going to change. I mean, it's truly never going to change. And we see this all the time because when a trade goes wrong, boom, kicks in the fear. We start focusing just on that. It's like everything else doesn't exist. But like my kids, I can't just forget about everything else. I have to keep everything in perspective. I have to make sure, yes, that that trade is okay, but is everything else okay? Because if I fix that one trade and I let everything else go... Well, that's not good either, right? If I'm with my kids and my one kid is crying and screaming and I leave my other kids and they're not attended and they hurt themselves because this one is just screaming and crying and upset, is that really the best strategy? And I think it's not. And I think you understand what I'm talking about when it relates to trading. So I want to go through what I think happens in these scenarios or some of the trigger points that could have caused trades to airfinger quote, explode in your face, and then go through some of the steps that we can take to figure out what to do about it, how we can get around this. I think hopefully this discussion will help out a lot and just, again, elevating us away from the day-to-day grind, pulling ourselves back from the charts and you know the daily movements of our portfolio and trying to take a really overall approach and kind of perspective on how we should manage our positions moving forward. So the first thing, of course, is position size. Undoubtedly, and I talk about it at nausea, and I still will talk about it until it seems like everyone's fixed their position sizing issue, but position size becomes the number one issue. And I see this a lot with people who cancel and say that they lost 30% of their account trading my alerts. And I will email them back and say, there's no way you did that. Like we haven't had a more than 10% drawdown in years, probably five or six years. And so there's no way they lost 30% unless they're allocating too much. And so this comes back to bite people in the butt all the time. And they try to use somebody else or something else as a scapegoat for just not 
doing the calculations and position sizing accordingly. I mean, I truly don't know how else to say it, how many different case studies to present, how many different research reports to talk about. Position sizing is the number one thing that you can do to be successful. Just position size small. Try to hit single after single after single. Stop swinging for home runs. And really, when it gets down to it, People who send me emails and they say, oh, this trade is a big loser. If it's a big loser, it means your position size is too big. A trade can be a loser for me, no doubt, but it's never going to lose more than 2 or 3% of my portfolio. That to me is not a big loser. Does it hurt? Sure, of course a losing trade hurts, but it's never going to be a big loser that I lose sleep over and I cry and you know mope around town for for five days. That's just not how it happens. So if you feel like that one of your trades is a big enough loser that it's causing you to lose sleep or feel like it's going to take a major dent out of your portfolio probably position size is the first thing you can check. The second thing that we want to talk about is just having a lot of trades. You know, again, what we often find is that people are not trading enough. And so when you don't trade enough, when you don't have the confidence to continuously enter trades, you might run into a series of trades that are just bad trades, what we call a sequence of returns that just don't work out that well. And so when you increase the number of trades that you do over time, you find that those bad trades start to average out. When you do a 1,000 or 2,000 trades, I'm sure you could still remember trades that went really bad, but probably not as much as if you did five trades. If you did five trades, you could tell me exactly what happened on the single worst trade that you had in that series of five trades. But honestly, ask me the five worst trades that I've done, probably could tell you a little bit about them, maybe the ticker symbols, maybe the market setup, but honestly, they've been averaged out over the course of many years and many trades. So having a lot of trades, again, helps break this sequence of return risk that we talked about in just the previous episode, show number 139. Now, the third thing you can do is not change the swing of your 300 hitter. And what I mean by this is that in baseball, what Hall of Fame hitters in baseball are 300 hitters. If you hit 300, which means you struck out seven times, you're Hall of Fame. That's crazy. So if you think about somebody who strikes out seven times in a row, do you think that they try to change their swing? No, they know that it's just part of the game. They know that they're going to have strikeouts. In fact, they almost want to strike out, you know, trying to get on base because it's better than just standing there and letting the ball go by. They're trying to hit it. They're trying to swing. Don't change your swing. What I see people do all the time is that when they have a losing trade, it's immediately I've got to change something. Nothing's wrong. You know, you may have entered the trade perfectly right, position sized it right, had everything lined up. It should have been a good trade. And just, you know what? It didn't turn out. The market went completely different. The market went a different direction than you thought. It was unpredictable. The stock announced earnings a little bit different than what you thought before, but don't change the core fundamentals of what you know to be successful. That's why I tell people a lot. They email me and probably one of the biggest emails I get all the time is how are we going to change things moving forward? I'm like, we're not going to change anything moving forward. We're just going to still do what we know is going to be successful. So just because we had a losing trade, just because it went, I made a two standard deviation move, that doesn't change anything for us. In fact, you know, we recognize that those things are going to happen. So we kind of anticipate that at some point we're going to have trades like that. I look at uh, Facebook, which had a huge move this past earnings season, a two or three standard deviation move. That doesn't change how we enter trades in Facebook for earnings. We would have entered that trade time and time and time again, the same trade, the same setup over and over again, and we'll continue to do so in the future. 
because long-term, it's going to work out in our favor. Did that move hurt? Of course, it was a losing trade. We don't like to have losing trades, but I'm not going to change my swing. I'm not going to adjust everything that I've done just because one or two trades blew up in my face, air fingers quotes. The third thing that you can do is adjust, roll, or eventually close the position. Now, I say it in this order because I think about it in this order. You can do a lot with a trade that is going against you. Now, granted, you should be more patient than more anxious to adjust. What we have absolutely found in our research is that when you make adjustments later in the expiration cycle, that is generally better than making adjustments too early. Many times when I get emails from people and they say, what are we going to do about TLT or GDX or GLD? If the trade is usually the next expiration, 30, 25, 40, 50, 60 days out, my default answer is nothing. We're not going to do anything. It's just way too early in the expiration cycle to try to anticipate what's going to happen, right? It's like if the weather has a chance of raining next week and there's a slight chance that it could be a really bad storm, well, I'm not going to batten down the hatches and you know board up the windows and put sand pits around my house just yet, right? I mean, it's too far off. Things can change between now and then. That takes a lot of patience and a lot of understanding that the markets are so dynamic and fluid. Anything can happen in a 30-day time period. Anything can happen in a 10-day time period. So we have to be more patient. But when we get to the point at which we're two, three weeks, maybe on the further end, so say one to two weeks from expiration, then we want to start making adjustments, start rolling positions, or just simply close the position and take the loss. It should never be this big ordeal to adjust, roll, or close the position. It should be part of your natural process, right? If you spill milk, you don't just sit there and watch it, right? You just watch it curl over time. You go ahead and clean it up, right? Fill up another cup, reset things, and start over again, right? And try not to spill milk again. That's what we're trying to do is make sure that you can make adjustments, roll the position to the next month, give yourself more time if you need to. And if you can't do any of those for a credit, then just go ahead and simply close the position and move on to the next trade. It's really that simple. So I think people use these expiration periods as these huge like drawdowns of emotion. I feel like expiration is always this sad, sad time for options traders. And it's mainly because what we have left over is we just have junk left over that's cleaning up the plate. But that's part of the business. You know, you close profitable positions all month long. And then when you get to expiration, you're left with the things that didn't work out. So that's okay. We can close, roll, adjust those positions. If they don't work out, fine. That's kind of the leftovers after you've eaten your fill to a certain extent for the rest of the month. So I think when it comes down to, again, this whole conversation around focusing too much on these positions, it's really simple stuff that we can correct. It's entry, it's frequency, it's you know the mechanics of trading, and it's basically not taking full losses whenever possible, figuring out ways to stop the bleeding or to reduce the bleeding on a position. You do all of that stuff, there's nothing that to me could ever explode in your face to the point at which you have a mental breakdown about trades. It's going to happen, you're going to have positions that go against you, you're gonna have things that end up being losers, It's part of the business. Understand how to move yourself away, remove your emotions from that environment and manage the whole portfolio. Because at the end of the day, one losing trade, if everything else is profitable, really doesn't matter. In fact, one losing trade might be the thing that is helping balance your portfolio so that everything else can be profitable. You know, that's another 
concept that we see all the time, just to kind of wrap it up here, I forgot to talk about it earlier, but I want to wrap it up here, is that when we have a losing trade, people will email us and say, why aren't we closing this position? Maybe it's a bullish or bearish position. And I'll email them back and say, yeah, it's losing, but you know what? It's adding balance to our portfolio. The fact that we have that bearish position that we're losing on means that we have balance so that if the market does turn and go down, we're covered. And so I'm okay losing on that because I'm winning on everything else because the rest of the portfolio or the rest of that you know series of trades for the month is all you know trades that are neutral to bullish. And so I'm covered by that one position. I'll keep it on because it's acting as a backstop against the market going against me. So it's never just that these trades should be looked at 100% as independent little games or trades by themselves without the context of the full portfolio because it's stupid to do that. We would never look at one kid, you know, to go back to the parenting analogy, we would never just look at one kid and totally focus all of our attention and forget the rest of the kids. It's not the best way to parent. We got to make sure everybody's doing okay, right? And some positions may need a little bit more love and help at sometimes, but not at the expense of everything else. So hopefully this has been a good conversation. Hopefully it's helped out. You know, the, the goal of this is really just to increase your confidence to get you out of this mentality of being so emotionally roller coaster driven with trading because it's just never a good recipe. It doesn't last long. You'll get burnt out doing this. I know initially I did until I finally just realized that a lot of this stuff I can't control. Like I can't control where the markets go. I have no forecasting capabilities, right? And that is a huge burden off my shoulders because now I know what the most important things are and that's frequency, trade entry, probabilities, position size. I mean, all these things that we talk about. Control what you can control and forget the rest. I mean, don't focus on it. Don't dwell on it. Don't make it define who you are as a trader. So hopefully this helps out. As always, if you guys have any questions, let me know. There's be a lot of stuff listed in the show notes over at optionalpha.com slash show 140. If you want to check out the show notes for this one, optionalpha.com slash show 140. All right, so let's get into the trader Q&A segment. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now, here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. My name is Moti, and I'm from Israel. I started getting into options two years ago. I've been going through your tutorials and listening to your podcast for at least a year now, and I feel that made a difference for me as a trader, and I want to thank you for that. So my question is in regards to adjustment pricing, how much credit should I look for when I roll the untested shortly? So looking forward to your answer. Thank you again, Mark. Bye now. All right, Madi, thank you so much for your question. And when we talk about rolling the untested short leg, the amount of credit that you receive is is pretty subjective. So I don't want to say that you should always receive, for example, $100 of credit because it's subjective based on the underlying strike price and based on the strategy that you're trading. For example, if you're trading USO, USO is a very cheap ETF. So it's 14 or so dollars right now at the time that we're recording this. So when you roll from one strike to the next, you may only collect $10 of premium. But $10 of premium is a big difference for a small $14 ETF. 
Now, $10 a premium if you're trading Google or Apple or Tesla, which is a much higher priced underlying, is nothing. It's peanuts. It doesn't make any difference at all. You might need to collect $80, $100, $200 on an adjustment to really swing things and make a difference. So that's why I said it's all relative. And I wouldn't necessarily look at the credit that you receive versus the actual like payoff diagram that you end up with after the adjustment. So when I look at adjusting short legs or moving positions in or out, I'm really looking at how much more high probability is this trade going to be by moving out that break-even point. Am I actually gaining some ground? Again, if it's USO and I move the break-even point out 50 cents, that's a huge move out in break-evens. That's a big range that I could potentially capture USO and make an adjustment that actually moves the needle. If I move the break-even point out five cents, that may not be enough. Same thing on a higher priced ETF or stock that's say a couple hundred dollars. I would want to move the break even point out on that five, 10, $15 if possible, because moving it out $1 on a $300 stock does really not that much. So that's what I'd be looking for. Now, again, the other thing that you want to look at is the strategy that you're using. If you're trading an iron condor or strangle, it's much easier to roll the untested side and move it all the way in. If you're trading an iron butterfly or a straddle, now you've got to be concerned about how far do you go adjusted and inverted on that position based on the credit that you took in originally. Do you want to go $2 inverted? Do you have enough credit to cover the width of the inversion if you go $2 inverted? So some of these questions are a little bit more dependent on the strategy that you're using. But again, we have lots and lots of training on some of the stuff that you you can look at. There's a podcast that we did just a couple weeks ago, maybe about a month or two ago, where we talked about going inverted on positions. And that was podcast show number 114. So again, if you wanted to learn more about how to go inverted on positions, what you need to look for, that's show number 114. And again, we have lots of training inside the video platform on Option Alpha on making adjustments, lots of live videos and walkthroughs that you can look at in different case studies and scenarios. So it's not a one size fits all answer. I wish it could be a very simple, you know, this is the credit that you're receiving, but I wanted to spend a little bit more time on this question here today. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so today I want to talk about a brand new position that we're getting into in GLD. And the reason I want to talk about this one, I think it fits well with the topic of this show, and that is continuing to stay mechanical and stay consistent with your trading, even despite the fact that the market might be moving against you. So in the case of GLD, the gold market has just been absolutely annihilated over the last three months. Now, we've just started trading it in the last month and a half, and we started selling some iron butterflies on GLD because of the higher implied volatility. The first position that we got into in GLD for expiration was the 116 centered iron butterfly. Now, naturally, we like to deploy the laddering technique for a lot of the trading that we do, which means that we spread our trade entry out over time and over different strike prices. We break up a trade that might be five or let's call it six or eight contracts. We'll break that down into series of two or three contracts over different strike prices. So the first series of trades that we made in GLD was selling the 116 iron butterfly. 
Now, since then, GLD has moved down about $3 and actually a pretty decent move. It's starting to kind of, I don't know if you want to call it mini crash, but it's starting to go a little bit parabolic and starting to move lower. Now, of course, naturally, we're going to get lots of emails and already have on what do we do with this position? What do we do with GLD? And the default answer here is we do nothing because it's so far from expiration. And in our case, this position is still more than 40 days from expiration. Anything can happen in that time period. So we don't want to be overly adjusty in how we manage this position. Instead, what we want to do is stay mechanical, stay consistent, and get into another position, just move down and average down with the market. So in this case with GLD, we're entering into the new iron butterfly position at 113. So another series of two contracts replicating the same structure as the original trade that we did at 116. We're now just shifting our new entry down a couple strikes to basically move with GLD as it moves lower. So we're selling the 113 calls, the 113 puts, buying the 121 calls and buying the 105 puts for an overall 290 credit. Now this helps give the position a little bit more balance. It helps spread our break even points a little bit wider and it gives us another entry so that we stay consistent. Now I have no idea where GLD is going to go. My gut feeling would tell me is that things that go parabolic in either direction eventually turn around and end up being opportunities to go short or go long. So in this case with GLD going semi-parabolic to the downside. I don't think anybody's expecting gold to rally here or stabilize, and that might be what happens. But in either case, we're going to trade the probabilities. We're going to stay consistent, hope that gold starts to find a range here, and continue to enter new laddered entries. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so I hope you guys really enjoyed today's show as always and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, links mentioned in the show, and some related video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com slash show 140. Again, that's just the number 140, optionalpha.com slash show 140. Until next time, happy trading.